0: wording in this text that is is sort of confusing to me and therefore inspiring to me anytime we find something in the word that might confuse us a bit it is actually an invitation for us to seek more from the word that when there's something that is said that doesn't make sense rather than just walking away from it saying that doesn't make sense the question in itself invites you in to know more about him so here's what I see When the angel told Joseph to call the son that would be born of Mary the virgin, he said, call his name Jesus so that it is fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet that you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, for me, this doesn't make sense. Look at it like this. God says, I'm going to give you a son and I want you to call him Emmanuel. Okay, I will. And then he shows up later and says, Okay, to fulfill what I told you to call him Emmanuel, call him Jesus. Well, I thought his name was supposed to be Emmanuel. Now, this clearly doesn't bother you, but this bothers me. Because is it Emmanuel or is it Jesus? Because Emmanuel, the name, is not the same as Jesus, the name. And if I was told to name my child Emmanuel, then what am I going to name him? Emmanuel. But then he shows up and says, the one I told you to name him Emmanuel, you'll fulfill the command to name him Emmanuel by naming him Jesus. Okay. So here is where we have to go into the gospel and find out exactly what is the meaning of this. And here's where I want us to just sit for a bit today. Because we have a tendency, especially in Christmas time... To try and make everything almost too light when it is one of the, it is the greatest story that has ever been told. And there's so much of it that we aren't even interested in because we've gotten distracted by everything else. For instance, if somebody said, hey, name me a few of Santa Claus reindeers. Oh, we could. Dasher, Prancer, and then the famous one of all, Rudolph. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. We all know this. Doesn't even exist. Tell me about Santa Claus. Oh, you know, about Yay High, kind of fat, got a red, big suit, big white beard, wears a, you know, we could we can describe big belt, patent leather boots. That wasn't surprising to you. If I asked any of you to give me a, a, a description somehow of Santa Claus, basically that's what you would have told me. But if I said, give me a description of Jesus, um, uh, he's awesome. Yes, he is. Tell me about Jesus. He's the one. Yes, he is. Tell me about Jesus, right? Like we, we get into this place where we haven't actually paid as much attention to his word as we are invited to pay attention to. And so in the spirit of Christmas, let us continue to discover what we can discover about the one who became flesh, the one who was born of a virgin Mary. Let's go a little further and learn a little bit more about Jesus. So we see in here a couple of names that are in the text. It talks about the Holy Spirit. It talks about the Lord. It talks about the Son of God. So now we're talking about God, the Lord, the Holy Spirit. We have these names and we need to understand who they are. What does all this mean? If we could, let us start with the name, the Lord. When we first are introduced to this name, we have to go all the way back in the Bible to the book of Exodus. Um, Chapter 3 and verse 14. A man who was named Moses, a man who had been born of the people of God, but raised in Egypt. And then he came to a point at the age of 40 that he wanted to go help his people. So he left the sort of beauties of the palace and he goes to check on his people. He sees that his people are being abused. He gets frustrated with the Egyptian who's abusing one of his people and he kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. And then he goes back the next day, sees two Hebrews fighting. And he's like, why are you guys fighting with each other? You're supposed to be brothers. And they look at him and they say... Who made you prince over us? Are you going to kill us too like you did the Egyptian? He gets terrified. He goes off into the woods where he's there for another 40 years. Just a quick snapshot for those of you new to church to tell you who Moses was. This same Moses, now he's a shepherd. He goes to the base of a mountain. And at the base of Mount Horeb, he sees a bush that is burning. But the bush itself is not being consumed. So he walks up to the bush. And now that he, the bush has his attention, he hears from God. And God gives him an assignment. He says, I want you to go, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I want you to go talk to my people. I want you to have them worship me. We're going to do this together. And Moses says, who are you? What is your name? Who do I tell them sent me to them? And so this is what God says in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I am that I am. Say to them, I am sent me to you. Then the Lord also said to Moses, You tell them the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent you to them, and His name is forever. So Moses then is told the name of God, and God gave His name as I am that I am. Then God sort of summarized that, and just said, I am. But then God gave him a different name to go tell the people because it would seem a little bit odd if Moses stood in front of the people of God and they said, who sent you to us? And he said, I am. The the language is confusing. So this is why God said, tell them, the people of Israel, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob sent you to them. But here's where we have to realize what's happening here in the Bible. This is why we're forced to study just a little extra. Because it says, Lord, if you are looking in any of your um, Old Testaments, what you will see is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. Here's why this matters. Because the word that is used there, at least how we say the word, is Yahweh. So I am that I am is Yahweh. then he summarizes it to I am then he says he is which is Yahweh now that word should mean something to you because we sing that name in songs we talk about Yahweh doing this or Yahweh doing that where it says the Lord anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in your Bible that means the word Yahweh is originally used So what God is saying is, I am, but since you can't say I am because you're not, you have to say he is because he is. He is is Yahweh. But why didn't didn't we just say Yahweh? Here's why. It's because over time, they would forget God, and they wouldn't know how to say his name. Because the name Yahweh is spelled without vowels. It's just Y-H-W-H. There are no vowels in there. And so they could speak the name of God in the moment because they heard it and they could write it down in their language. But then if you didn't hear it anymore and you forgot the name and then you go back two or three generations later and you look it up, all you see is YHWH but you're not exactly sure what the vowels are. So because they didn't want to mispronounce the name of God or say it incorrectly, they just inserted the word Lord because He is Lord. Okay, now that might seem a little strange to you, but let's take my name for instance. We'll do a real live example here. Uh, My middle name is Sean. I go by my middle name because I don't really like my first name. My first name is Garland. It's a great time of the year to have the name Garland. We have Garland all over the place. We're celebrating me, we're celebrating Christmas. My name is Garland. I stand proud and say this is my first name, Garland Sean, that's my name. Okay, so here's the thing. Let's take the vowels out of my name, G-R-L-N-D. You took them out, now it's just G-R-L-N-D. If I say my name is Garland and you see G-R-L-N-D, you know that says Garland. But if you don't say my name anymore, and your kids never hear my name, and then your grandkids never hear my name, and your great grandkids never hear my name, and there's no one there to tell them what my name is, and then they look it up one day in a book, and they say, oh, there's this guy named G-R-L-N-D, Gorlind. Gorland. Well, that's not right. Jerland. That's not right either. So instead of saying it wrong, they just said Lord. So when it says in your Old Testament, Lord, that is where you would originally see what we say Yahweh. We're all tracking, right? Okay. That is the word for Lord. So Now, we are also introduced in this later moment where he says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, here was the thing. Moses was raised in Egypt, so he was not raised with these stories. So when he went to them and they said, who is it that sent you to us? He could say the God of your fathers. Well, who is that? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So here's somebody who was raised in Egypt telling them all about the one who started their family and got the tree going and told them all about God. Now he has um, this. He has credibility with them. And he's telling them, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he is the Lord. Now we take this back to, let's talk about God, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Because that's where everybody meets or originally understands God through story. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. So here in this moment, we see God, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. So we see two persons here, at least two, in this beginning narrative. Now if we go to verse 24, stay in chapter 1. Then God said, so the first thing he said was let there be light. Verse 24, then God said, let us, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So now we're forced to embrace that everyone that we see in Genesis 1, we know them as God. God of Genesis 1 Let us, Genesis 21, 24, and then we bump a little further into Genesis 2, 4, and we're going to get a summary of the whole thing. It says it like this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So now whose name do we see inserted into the story? The Lord. The Lord who was creator in verse four of chapter two is the same one with God in the beginning of chapter one, one. So now I have to embrace this idea that the Lord is God. And that's what Moses was telling them because they had all the stories, but they didn't fully know what it all meant. He goes on in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we see separate persons, but we have to understand that there are separate persons, but there's one God. We see it in, we see it in the text. They're forced embrace this and here's why it mattered because throughout history at least their history this is what would constantly happen God would reveal himself he would manifest himself in a way meaning he would do something and when he would do something they would recognize him as that and then they would want to follow the manifestation rather than God himself for instance in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18 God said I am God most high Chapter 17 and verse 1, he said, I am God Almighty. So now we have chapter 14, verse 18, I am God Most High, El Elion. Now we have 17.1, El Shaddai. Recognize the language? El Elion, El Shaddai. They're not two separate gods, though. But what would happen is cultures would pick up this particular aspect of God and they would just worship this person, this aspect, this manifestation. Then they would just, then they would worship this. Then they would worship that. And so they would go on and they had all these gods. They had gods all over the place. They never recognized or were willing to recognize that he is one. Now here's the practical application for us. Because we do this a lot today. Uh, This is a lot of times why we might have movements or denominations or whatever. We will pick one facet of God that means a whole lot to us, and we'll just want to know him. God who heals. And I'll spend all my time in God the healer, and I know all about God the healer, or this one, this is the God who blesses, the one who prospers, I wanna I want know all about him, because I like, I wanna I want earn more money, I wanna make more money, I wanna do better, I wanna provide more for my family, I wanna have a cooler car, whatever, whatever good thing, no bad thing here, no judgment, just something you need or you want. Well, now all you know is this, but here's the problem. When I don't know what God said here, because all I'm paying attention to is who he said he was there, there are secrets over here about him that actually matter over here. So I am not afforded the luxury to only worship God this way or this way Or this way, I have to recognize that he is all of these things that he has revealed himself to be. And I want to know as much about him and know him as much as I possibly can. Here's one. Now all of a sudden, uh, Abraham kind of shifts the conversation. And rather than saying... God who is most high or God Almighty, he comes to a moment where he is going to uh, give a sacrifice, but there isn't a ram. And in the moment where there's not a ram or there's not a lamb to give as a sacrifice, God provided, and he, Abraham, in that moment, called that place, Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14, he called the name of that place Yahweh Yaira. Now that should trigger some of you who were raised in the 80s. Because if you were raised in the 80s, there was only one translation of the Bible that we ever read back then. That was the King James Version. And the King James Version of the Bible doesn't say Yahweh Yireh. No, no. No, it uses the Greek spelling and name, which is what? Jehovah Jireh. Now, when I say Jehovah-Jireh, now, now I get excited. Like now I get some goosebumps. You're talking about yahweh Jireh. I don't know exactly what that means. But if you say Jehovah-Jireh, I can actually hear that, that sort of minor chord progression in the background. And then we start, you know, get our legs going. Why? Because Jehovah-Jireh, my provider, His grace is sufficient for me. Right? Like now I'm singing. Now I get excited. But I didn't get that excited about God most high. God who's over everything. God who tells me what to do. God who has a plan. It's not my plan. Who says, no, no, I'm higher. My thoughts are higher. This isn't what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to do that. That's most high God. That, that's God I submit to. That's God I fear. That's God I obey. Jehovah Jireh, he's just the one passing out stuff. Most High God, that's a demanding God. I don't don't want to know about Most High God. I want Jehovah Jireh. So this is what Moses is telling them, we can't do this anymore. We have to recognize that He is one. There are not many gods, but rather God is one. But we are forced, though, to deal with the reality that there are persons, that it's not just one God who shows up like this and then goes back and shows up like this. Rather, there are three persons that are separate, that are distinct, that are accounted for in who we call God. And so, if we could just talk about the Lord for a minute and just make it a little more confusing and then watch God do an amazing summary and tie the bow up at the end, it'll just be glorious. So, now let's talk about the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, they receive a promise For to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end for the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we have from the Lord a son who is going to be born and be given to all. Not just born and given to a family, but rather to us, to all of us. But this son is not just like a child of the flesh. Rather, this son is the son of God. Why? Because he'll be called mighty God. The son will be called Mighty God. But here's what else. The Son will be called Everlasting Father. Now, how is the Son called Everlasting Father? The only way that the Son is called Everlasting Father is if the Son is co-equal, co-eternal to the Father. So that where the Father was outside of space and time, so the Son was also. That the Son did not come after the Father, or the Son was created, but rather the Son coexisted with the Father. That the Son who would be born is Mighty God and Everlasting Father. It's the only way it works. And so within this prophecy, there is this expectation to see the Lord do something that the Lord had not done before. But if we go all the way back to Exodus, we see a promise that was made that really they didn't attach it. But once God did what he did, the attachment became very apparent, which was simply this in Exodus fifteen two: After God delivered the children of Israel from slavery... And they walked across the dry bottom of the Red Sea and they stepped into the wilderness, that place of peace, where God would cultivate His word in them before taking them into the Promised Land. When they stepped into that wilderness, Moses sang a song of praise. He said, The Lord is my strength and my song, He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, what I love about this is when he said, My father's God and I exalt him. What he was saying was, I'm not worshiping the God of Pharaoh who raised me. I'm worshiping my father's God who's of the children of Israel. I left everything over here that I might come into a new family. I left what was behind, what was darkness, and I stepped into what is light. There comes a point in our lives where we have to be willing to say, I don't care what my past looked like. I don't care what people around me did. I'm walking away from this and I'm worshiping the God of these people who God has put me in community with. So, this is what Moses was willing to say. But in the middle of saying this, he lets us in on a secret. He says, The Lord is a man of war. How can the Lord be a man of war if the Lord is God in Genesis 1 1? Man didn't even exist in Genesis 1 1. Why? Because everything in the beginning was outside of space and time. Everything in the beginning existed before humanity, before the sun, before the earth. Everything here wasn't this. How could this be a man? It was a prophecy that was telling us what was about to happen. And this is what Isaiah was tapping into. And now I have five minutes to give you the beauty of all of this. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. The Lord who was in the bush. Jesus is Lord. The Lord who was in the beginning with God. Jesus is Lord. The Lord who provided a ram at the place of sacrifice. Jesus is Lord. When I say Jesus is Lord, I'm not just talking about I'm following him. I'm talking about he's everything that he has ever been and he's everything that he will be. Because this is what we have to learn about Jesus. Jesus never said the word Lord. Jesus never said anything about he is. What Jesus said was, I am. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the bread, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the healer, I am. He said, I am. And so here we see it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. This is the summary of it all. This is like all Christmas in a moment. Though he was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So I'll just move around and and work this out. In the form of God, he, Jesus, though in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, with the Father, a thing to be grasped. The Son did not count equality with the Father a thing to be grasped. But He, the Son, emptied Himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by being obedient to the point of death Even death on a cross. So the one who is co-eternal, co-equal with the father emptied himself from the form of God. Meaning he left his throne and he took the form of a humble servant. He took the form of flesh. The word became flesh. He wasn't created, he became flesh. Whatever the word is, the word became flesh. 100% God, 100% man. The father didn't become flesh, the son became flesh. The son humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's where the Lord is a man of war comes in because that was the prophecy in Exodus 15. All of a sudden, the one who became flesh died, which brought him into a place called hell, where he would do war for your soul and for my soul. After he paid the penalty for sin, he went into that place, and he was victorious over death, hell, and the grave. So God, who humbled himself, became in this place a man of war. Now we keep on going. It said, and then, from here, God highly exalted him so he was there but God highly exalted him back to the place where he started he came from here and humbled himself to there but God highly exalted him he just went back to where he was and bestowed on him the name that is above every single name so that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. Confess what? That Jesus is Lord. That is all of the things that He always was and will be. That Jesus, Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ. The son of God, born of a virgin, 100% God, 100% man. And he was exalted back to that place. Mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, wonderful counselor. Jesus is Lord.